Good morning, church. Buenos días. Well, happy Advent. This is a powerful season, and we want to continue celebrating Advent. But not only that, that the, the tradition, but also the fact that Jesus is coming back again. How many of you believe that? That Jesus is coming back again. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and celebrate that. Celebrate that Jesus is coming back. So today we're going to teach about God's covenant. And this is we, it will be a very interesting um, teaching because I believe that we don't teach enough about the covenant of God. What is the meaning of God's um, covenant? So we're going to start with Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And we know this passage very well when the prophet Isaiah um, prophesied that Jesus was coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. Can we say these names together? And I don't know why people are still confused about the identity of Jesus as God. Uh, he's not only our friend, he's not only a moral teacher, he is God in the flesh, God on the flesh. And it's so important that we make that distinction because that makes him different from Buddha or Mohammed or any other moral teacher on earth. The powerful thing about God is that when he sent Jesus, he's also sharing how he will do this. And he says, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding or holding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The seal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is the powerful thing about God's covenant is that God's seal, he's the one who initiates this covenant and he's the one who provides um, everything for us to stay in covenant. So you know that when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's the first step to go into the kingdom of God. But for you and I to remain in the kingdom of God, we need and we have to stay in covenant. And what is this? So when you see the story of the scriptures in a nutshell, you will see that God's plan is revealed, Genesis 1 and 2, the earth is created, humankind is created, to fill, to fill the earth with his glory through humankind, that's the purpose of the creation. God's plan is disrupted, do you know who show up in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent. Then God's plan is restored through what? Through God's covenant. This is so important. Okay? Now, what is a covenant? A binding agreement between two or more parties, parties where one is divine. So we can have covenants and agreements with people here on earth. The difference here is is God making covenant with us. And that's very important. That distinction. Why? Because usually you have agreements between, 
parties that are equal in power, in status, in resources, in everything. Well, the beautiful thing about this covenant is that God does not, uh, he does not need to do this. He's all-powerful. However, he loves us so much that he's making a covenant with us, knowing that we're going to face many, many trials and that the power of sin is too much. So now, we're going to see how this covenant play out because when we say Advent, we are waiting and waiting and waiting. What is the meaning of this waiting and how we have been waiting? So let's explore the covenant journey with humankind. This is going to be uh, seeing it this way will open your eyes. First covenant. We know that God created the earth. Do you know this covenant? Eden, Adam, and Eve, and God make a covenant and said, don't eat from the fruit of of good and evil, don't eat from the fruit of science. If you do this, your eyes will be open and I will expel you from the garden. And what they did, exactly what God said not to, which is powerful because in this covenant, God is giving everything to us and saying, don't touch this little tree in the garden. You have 99% of the garden for you. Don't touch this tree. But we did this. So our nature and the serpent and the influence, and we just did that. We broke covenant. And the beautiful thing about this is that God created the covenant knowing that we will be breaking the covenant. So he provides in the covenant a way for us to come back into covenant so we can stay in the kingdom of God. So we, we did this. We broke covenant. And God says, ah, I could not do it with Adam, so I'm going to move to the next covenant. And after Genesis 1:28, we see the covenant with Adam. We have the second covenant, the covenant with Noah. Okay? So the earth kept sinning, and we have all these moral failures, and we have the earth in creation, in brokenness, and God found this man, Noah, and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you so I can save the earth. And he made a covenant with Noah. And Noah, after the flood, God released him into the earth. And then the first thing he did was to get what? Drunk. The whole earth is destroyed. And this guy show up. And the first thing he does is get what? Drunk. So here it is. So Noah and his family, eight of them, broke covenant. And God says, I'm making a covenant. And I have this rainbow, this rainbow on the heavens. I'm making a covenant. I will not destroy the earth with water no more. But I need to find someone else because he could not keep covenants. That's Genesis 8. And that's the beautiful thing here is that in Genesis um, 3, God planted the garden in Genesis 8, he says to Noah, now you planted. So he's giving us more responsibility because for some reason God is saying, you know what, we need to collaborate and see if you being part of the, of the restoration make you more responsible. I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to make you do things. And this time he said, now we are going, you are going to plant the garden. I will not plant the garden. You will do it. Go back to Genesis 8 
and read it again. But he says, I could not keep covenant with Noah, so I need to find someone else. And then he finds who? Abraham. And then he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Not only with you, but you will be a father of nations. Here he's saying, well, I don't want to save Israel only. I want to serve the whole earth. I'm the creator of the earth, and I want to serve everyone. And through you, I will do that. But you know what he did. He said, leave your, your, your siblings, leave your family behind. And the first thing he did, he brought his nephew Lot with him. And then he started lying, saying that his wife was his sister. He's the father of the, the, father of the faith. And he was lying and lying and lying. Is, does that sound familiar? Okay. So he was doing covenant with Abraham, but Abraham also broke covenant. So in Genesis 12, he has this covenant, and Abraham was working on it and having children, uh, Isaac and Jacob, and, and the revelation by faith that God is God, that God is so powerful, he's almighty, and all of that. But then God says, I need to keep doing this because I cannot keep covenant with men. And then this is the next covenant, the covenant with who? Moses. And this time he says, it's time, to write in it's time to write this down, folks, because you tend to forget. So let's, let's, let's write it down. Let's write it down and see if you can keep in mind why I need this covenant. So he gave to Moses this law, and Moses started writing this covenant and said, I'm going to make a nation of priests, a holy nation to impact the whole earth through you and gave him the covenant. That's Exodus 6. He called Moses, but then gave Moses a covenant. But when he called Moses, this is very powerful. Take a picture of that passage and read it at home. He called Moses and revealed himself to Moses. But what he said to Moses is very powerful. And sometimes we read it and we don't see it. This is what he said to Moses. God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am who? The Lord. I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. In other words, El Shaddai. God Almighty. God Almighty, El Shaddai. But my name, listen to this. But my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. This is very powerful because now he's saying, I'm making covenant with blood, not through creation, but with blood. This is powerful. I'm revealing myself as El Shaddai. I did not make myself known to them. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God as Elohim, El Shaddai, God of creation, God all-powerful, almighty. But then he says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which um, he resides as aliens. I also heard the groans of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are holding as what? Slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. What is the difference between the previous covenant and this covenant? Is the fact that before that, God, know, God was revealing himself now through the covenant through sharing blood. Why? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were never slaves. They were free people. 
Now Israel was captive. Now they are slaves. Now it's a revelation that when we are slaves, we are in bondage. And when we are in bondage, the only way to break bondage is through blood. So now he's revealing himself as, not as El Shaddai, not as Elohim, but as Yahweh. God, Jehovah. It's a powerful shift that God continues to reveal himself as we are waiting and waiting and waiting and God keeps working. And God, we cannot outrun God's love. He keeps pressing forward, making covenant, making covenant. Then, El Shaddai, Elohim, covenant to Yahweh. That's a big shift. That's a big shift. Now, the covenant here and the big difference here is that knowing Yahweh is so important because you can have an experience with God as God of creation, as Elohim, as El Shaddai, but for you to have a relationship with God and knowing him as Yahweh, you need blood. That's why the angels don't know God as Jehovah. They know him as Elohim, God of mighty, God of creation. And why this is important, Pastor? What is the application of this? It's beautiful in the Bible, but what is the application of this? The application of this is that even though God is all-powerful, he wants to have a relationship with you. So he don't relate to us through power. He relates to us through intimacy, love, and relationship. This is why when you are leading in the church, if you really want to lead, you cannot lead from I'm the senior pastor. That's not the way it works, my friend. You have to have relationship with people. This is not a secular world. You are not a president. You are not the police. You are not the governor. That's not what it is. Power, power, power. No, in the kingdom of God is relationship. Even God being El Shaddai, all powerful, he decides to come back, come down, and connect with you and me in a relationship. Wow. This is powerful. El Shaddai, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to Israel, and this is so important because Moses had a deep relationship with God. And he says here, his, his, he may know his ways to Moses, his, his way, his DNA, his, his personhood to Moses, his acts, his power to Israel. That's why Israel was sinning, 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 while Moses was in a deep relationship with God. The moment you enter in a relationship with God, you stop sinning. But if you only know him through miracles and power, miracles and power, power and miracles will not change anyone. People are changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ in the blood of God in your heart. It's the only way to be changed. There's no other ways. That's why I celebrate campaigns, miracles, but people leave stadiums and they are not safe and they experience miracles, but they don't repent. Why? You need an intimacy with God to do that. So God moved us from independence to collaboration. He started working with us. Plant the garden. Now Moses has these tablets. The first time he got the tablets, he came down. People were sinning. He broke the tablets, came back. And then God says, now you broke the tablets. Now go back, cut some stones, and let's do it again. This time... The difference is that Moses had to cut the 
stones. The first time, it says that with the finger, God with his finger cut the stone and wrote the covenants. Now he's saying, now you do it. Same thing he said to Noah. Now you plant it and see if you're more responsible next time. It's so easy to break what is not yours. Once it's yours, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So a hard transformation in God is only possible through covenant. It's so important to stay in covenant, church. It's so important to understand covenant so you know what God gave you. Let's understand what God gave us. But God kept pressing forward. People kept sinning. And then he said, I'm going to call someone who after my heart. I understand that only, only if the heart is changed, we are going to change. So he found this man, David, a man with his heart. A man after his heart. And he said, David, I'm making covenant with you. But you know what he did? The first thing he did was to do what? Sleep with whom? Bathsheba. So moral, say immoral, so immorality, sexual immorality, right? So he said that he's supposed to be fighting these wars as a king. In the, in the season that kings go to war, David stayed in the palace. And then he looks through the window and bam. He's done. Because what you see with your eyes will determine what you have in your heart. If you don't want something in your heart, guard your eyes. Once you see it, you cannot unsee it. And said, but David, let's make covenant, David. Let's make covenant. And David kept the covenant, but then he broke it with adultery. That's why we believe that adultery is a sin. Do you believe that adultery is a sin? Because in the 21st century, people are redefining sin, and they believe sin is this, sin is that. Wait a minute. Sin is what God says is sin. We know that sin is a sin because God says so. We cannot change them. That's part of the covenant. From Genesis to Revelation, we know a sin is a sin. From Genesis to Revelation, we know because it's written. Now, this is another covenant shift here, folks. Now, God says, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. I've been trying to make covenant with men. First Adam, then Noah, then Abraham, then Moses, then David. You know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to make myself flesh and come and make covenant with you so it cannot be broken again. This is powerful. This is powerful. It's God saying, you know what? I love you so much. I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you alone. I will be, pers I will be pursuing you and coming after you again and again. You cannot outrun God. He will continue pressing forward. So he said, you know what? I'm going to make myself flesh and come in the flesh and make covenant. Wow. And what is the big shift here, pastor? That with Moses... We shift now from being or a calling to be ritually pure to become what? Morally pure. One thing is to be ritually pure and a different thing is to be morally pure. 
People love to be ritually pure. Coming on church on Sunday, reading the Bible, fasting, praying, and pure. No, my friend. That's not the way it works. You are not a Levite. You are not under the law. You are under the grace. The expectation here is to be morally pure, which is different. A change of life. You have to change your ways. You have to change your thoughts. We have to change the way we act. We have to change the way we say things. We have to forgive. We have to let people go. We have to, we have to make sure that we are in a relationship. Morally pure. That's a huge change. You know, we don't have to kill animals anymore. Christ died on the cross for us. So we, we don't do that. That's why it's written... Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit. Not shields into stone, but carved into human life. This new plan of action wasn't written out with ink on paper, with pages and pages of legal footnotes, killing your spirit. It is written with a spirit on spirit, his life on our lives. No more ink, no more stones. Now God is after your heart. Can you touch your heart? I celebrated a funeral yesterday. And every time, every time I have to officiate a funeral, I remember our life on earth is short. If your heart is beating, the covenant of God is still living in you. And you have a chance, a chance and an opportunity to turn your life around. Turn your life around. His life on our lives. And this is what he says. There are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. So these are the witness on earth. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, water, baptism, and the blood. Of Jesus, you have the table. That's the testimony of the covenant when Jesus came. And I said, Now you don't have to kill animals, you don't have to sacrifice animals. I am your testimony. Baptize and come to the table. Baptize and come to the table. This is powerful. Now it says, You can read this at home. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is a very powerful statement in the 21st century. You read that and you are intolerant. Why? Jesus is the only way. No, God is a big mountain and you can get to him through different ways. No, that's not what he says. Now you either trust Jesus in the Bible or you trust Muhammad in the Quran, or you trust all the other holy books that we have up there. The reason we believe that Jesus is God is because he came back from the dead. His tomb is empty. And we have so many historical facts that the Bible is the word of God. Not other book on earth has so many historical evidence that is written in all these accounts connect with God. And we know that because Jesus was talking about the Old Testament. He was not talking about the Quran. He mentioned Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the New Testament, the prophets. That's why we have those books. 
So the fulfillment of God's covenant and promise is in God. That's the new covenant. And we have a new covenant. And in this Advent season, we need to celebrate that Jesus is not a baby only. That's a picture. That's a tradition. But remember, he's a full-grown-up man, and he's coming back. Amen? So, for a child has been born, yes, for us, the gift of a son for us, and then his counselor, strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness, prince of peace. Jesus says to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This act of coming to the table is a powerful act. Don't take this lightly. Those who eat his flesh, drink his blood, he will raise them up in the last days. This is the covenant of God. Baptisms. If you are not baptized, follow Christ. Be baptized. Get baptized. If you are not coming to the table, please come to the table. As I said before, if you're going to miss a Sunday, don't miss the first Sunday. Because the first Sunday when you are eating his flesh and drinking his blood. To do what? To be in covenant. And the benefit of that covenant is that he will raise you up in the last day. Do you believe in the resurrection? Just checking. Do you believe in the resurrection? Hallelujah. Okay. So see you soon, my friend. See you soon. This is the call to action. Let us respond by embracing the love and the grace extended to us, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our actions. Let us actively seek justice, practice righteousness, and cultivate humility and wisdom in our interaction with others. Again, remember, we are not called to be ritually pure, but morally pure, in connection, intimacy, not through power, through relationship. May we foster a community characterized by shalom, promoting peace and holiness in our families, churches, and beyond. So when we're living in covenant, we pursue this with our family members. So if you, there is any, any family member that is having, you're having issues, you cannot connect, it's time to do what? Pray fast. Love that person. Sometimes you have to love people from the different distance, then that's okay. Sometimes you have to do that. Because you have to protect yourself. But there's no, I mean, the distance is a physical distance, not in your heart. In your heart, you have to love that person. In your heart, you have to pray for that person. And how do you know that you have been disconnected physically and spiritually when you cannot pray for that person? You cannot even say, God, God bless him or bless her. God forgive him. For, you cannot say that because your unforgiveness, the unforgiveness in your heart does not let you speak. It's time to do what? To come to the table, come to the presence of God and ask him, God, I need to forgive. Help me to let go of this anger, of this pain, of this resentment. And then your heart is transformed. You might have to stay away some people, you have to put boundaries on them, but you love that person from the distance until the end. And if that person repents and change their ways, you are always ready to do what? To embrace him or her back into full communion.
So before, before we pray, we're going to pray with the communion. This is the conclusion, and I want all of us, if possible, to read it together. Will you read this with me, please? All together at once. One, two, three. 